early sun on beauty water lights the undersides of oaks. Clumps of leaves it floods and blanches, all transparent glow the branches which the double sunlight soaks. To her craft on beauty water, Clemency, the general's daughter, pulls across with even strokes. Schoolboy sure she is this morning, soon her sharpies rigged and free. Cool beneath a garden awning, Mrs. Fairclough, sipping tea and raising large long-distance glasses as the little sharpie passes, sighs our sailor girl to see. Tulip figure, so appealing, Oval face so serious-eyed, tree roots past and muddy beaches, onto huge and lake-like reaches, soft and sun-warm, see her glide. Slacks the slim young limbs revealing, sun-brown arm the tiller feeling, with the wind and with the tide. Evening light will bring the water, day-long sun will burst the bud. Clemency, the general's daughter, will return upon the flood. But the older woman only knows the ebb tide leaves her lonely with the shining fields of mud. Early sun on Bewley water lights the undersides of oaks. Thus begins John Betjeman's pastoral poem, Youth and Age, on Bewley River. And guess what? The hour is early. Helios is still in his ascendance. And do you know what's bouncing the sun's rays onto the underside of this particular oak? That's right, you've guessed it. I am here, sitting right beside Bewley River in the heart of the New Forest. This is a part of the world I know really very well. I'm a very short drive from where I grew up, and if you followed this small river downstream from the village of Bewley and out into the Solent, you're not all that far from where my father and my grandfather taught my siblings, my cousins and me how to sail our little dinghy, Acorn. We Oakses are nothing but imaginative when it comes to naming things, but in retrospect, it seems perhaps we were merely being prepped to step in for Clemency, the General's daughter. Anyway, Bewley was originally the site of a Cistercian monastery founded in 1204 by King John. Now, if legend is to be believed, he founded it following a guilt-ridden dream where he rode his horses repeatedly over a collective noun of Cistercian monks. But just to the west of the Abbey's ruins and west of the National Motor Museum, which now takes its place, is Betjeman's Bewley River. Now, whereas Betjeman eloquently captures a river flanked by sun-dappled oak trees, and indeed, much of Beauty River and the New Forest is renowned for its oak woodlands. But I would argue that the Beauty River is famous for something else. Here, it's all about cars. By which I'm not referring to the land speed record destroying ones on display at the National Motor Museum, but all the cars. That was a joke. The Beauty River is all about the water-loving, swamp-inhabiting, nitrogen-fixing tree Tree number 39. The older. Alnus glutinosa. Q jingle. Uploading the secrets and stories beneath the 56 ish native trees of the British Isles. Right. Older car are densely populated groves of alder trees. 
trees that make their homes around twisted rivers or in damp, waterlogged and swampy terrain. Quite frankly, Betjeman's oaks and indeed very few other native trees would stand much of a chance at laying down roots here. Alders are often seen to stand as if on stilts. Their root structures, exposed by the erosion of constantly running water, are often visible above the swampy ground. Like elegant fingers reaching down into the mud, these roots make perfect nest sites for otters. And the dampness around these carp make alder trees ideal homes for mosses, for fungi and for lichen. Alder then becomes easily identified by the thickest of living verdant velveteen carpets that cover their branches. Now, under normal circumstances, waterlogged soils are severely lacking in essential nutrients, especially the life-creating nitrogen. But, and this is where the alder comes into its own, deep within the alder's root nodules, some of which can be as large as a human heart, lives the nitrogen-fixing bacteria, Frankia alni. These two species, the alder and Frank, to his friends, are connected at a cellular level, living in a natural symbiosis. The bacteria sunk deep into the waterlogged soil extract dissolved nitrogen gas directly from the water, rendering it to be used by the tree. Subsequently, the poor quality soil is not of the slightest concern to our alder, and it gets better. From here on in, the surrounding soil continues to benefit from this natural relationship. Nitrogen returns to the soil and it becomes fertile again. And when the land becomes dry enough, sucked dry partly by the alders, it permits other successional species to take root. The Incas are said to have used this special relationship as a way to improve their soil's fertility. It is a natural way to regenerate soil without the need for short-term artificial nitrogen-fixing fertiliser. According to Gertrude Clark Nuttall, who was born in 1868, was one of the very first women to ever take a formal degree in botany and wrote the wonderful 1913 book, Trees and How They Grow, the alder possesses another unique feature that makes them perfectly adapted to survive in these swampy terrains. She says that their seeds are... Provided with airtight cavities inside their walls so that they will float unharmed along the surface of the stream or lake. Now... Good swampy alder car provide one of the most secluded habitats in Britain, but like all good things, unfortunately it is becoming increasingly rare. Stream canalisation and the draining of wetlands leave few places, like here in Bewley, where the tree can thrive. And with the loss of the trees leads to the loss of the species that need the trees to survive. And where, oh where, oh where would the alder's pet kitten go there? Yes, alders have pets. Sort of. This is a moss, don't turn off, moths are cool. There is a moss, scientifically called Focula bicuspis, but whose common name is the alder kitten. It is fluffy, it is tiny, it is spotty, it is as cute as hell, and Lord knows why it's not already been made into a meme by an eccentric lepidopterist. And you're going to love this. There are more native moth kittens out there, two of them, in fact. The willows have a kitten, the sallow kitten, Focula Focula, and the poplars have a kitten, Focula bifida. They're all cute as a button, furry as a husky fresh out of a tumble dryer, and waiting to be turned into memes. So, to save our alders, and indeed to save those fluffy little alder kittens, you're going to need to know what an alder looks like. Well, they can reach around 30 metres in height, making it the most suitable of emblems for the Celtic giant god Bran in the Welsh Mabinogion. It has a dark and fissured bark, or at least it does when not covered in moss, lichen and fungus, and if it's spring... Their buds and male catkins have a truly beautiful, distinctive purplish sheen. 
But what makes them particularly hard to mistake, something that makes up for the majority of our native conifers that stubbornly refuse to act like conifers, the alder grows miniature conifer-like woody cones. Hooray for cones! <laughs> These are, in fact, female catkins. They remain on the tree all year round. They're cute as hell, second only to the cuteness of the older kitten, and make our swamp thing very hard to mistake. Where I'm sitting now, wellies dipped in the stream, I can see that many of the alders have multiple trunks emanating from their single root system. Now this tells me something. It tells me that these trees have, at numerous points, been coppiced. Because alderwood is very useful. Alderwood is perhaps unsurprisingly water-resistant and gets much, much stronger as it ages. It is said to be as hard as stone when submerged in water. Alderwood has been used to make water pipes, bridge piles, canoes, the sluices that powered our nation's canal infrastructure, indeed anything that might have been susceptible to rot. The majority of the piles that keep Venice from sinking, including those beneath the Rialto, are made from alder. However, Alder woodcutters took their fates in their hands when harvesting these trees. Pale alder wood becomes a deep sienna when cut, as if bleeding, leading to many superstitions, suggesting that these trees were, in fact, evil. That said, the ancient Irish supposedly used alder to make their shields, for why should they bleed themselves when the shield was prepared to bleed instead on their behalf? Conversely, the wood of alder is supposed to be pretty useless out of water. Woodworms are thought to prefer no better home for their eggs than alder wood, leading to the tradition of placing alder branches into wooden cupboards to try and distract the nibbling offenders from working their way through the house. And that is that. That is the alder. Our very own swamp thing. Now next week I'm having a look at our birches, which are thankfully a secondary food plant for the alder kitten. Seriously, start sending in those memes. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed sitting by the stream as much as I have. And I'll see you all again next week. Bye-bye. Up the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British Isles. Hey, look at this. It's like a Marvel film. It's a post-credit sequence. Oh, my God, look, the Hulk turned up and he's actually made of magnolias. No, actually, a couple of additional credits this week. Thank you to John Betjeman for writing Youth and Age on Bewley River. And thank you to Hodder and Stoughton for giving me permission to use it in today's podcast. Thank you also to Natalie Dormer for reading said poem. But if you had much rather hear Betjeman read his own poem, well, there's a link over at treesacrowd.fm slash 56 trees that has exactly that. It is also preceded by his rather racy explanation for what his voyeuristic poem is actually about. Hashtag spoilers, it's not about trees, but it is well worth a listen. Off to YouTube you go. Thank you again to you all for listening, and we will see you next week for The Birches. Bye-bye.